Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to Innovation in Government sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jeff Riley, the Senior Director of the Americas Commercial Presales for Dell EMC. Jeff, welcome to the discussion. Thank you, Jason. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion today. Twelve of the CFO Act agencies have met at least some or all of their data center goals for fiscal 2018. The federal IT dashboard says NASA, USDA, OPM, and SSA were among the agencies that met their goals for 2018. But overall, the government fell short in closing their tier and non-tier data centers last fiscal year. In fact, OMB says agencies closed just over 3,000 non-tiered data centers out of a goal of over 4,000, and they closed 210 tiered data centers out of a goal of 471. OMB is updating the data center policy. We know that. And the goal of closures and optimization actually may be replaced by a new and better way to calculate costs and therefore savings when it comes to data centers. OMB is expected to take lessons learned from the USDA's Infrastructure Optimization Center of Excellence and come up with eight different categories to calculate the costs of data centers. Now, one way agencies and OMB potentially could calculate the cost of data centers is how they move off legacy technology and move into the cloud or at least a virtualized environment. Most experts in and out of government agree that agencies will continue to operate data centers and live in a hybrid environment for the short term. One example of this is DISA, the Defense Information Systems Agency. They've been adopting and deploying software-defined networks for much of the past few years. DISA says SDN will make it easier for services and commands to set up networks, deliver services, and ensure their networks are secure. So how do agencies take advantage of these technologies like SDN to modernize and improve their data centers? Well, that's where our guest comes in. Once again, Jeff Riley is the Senior Director of the America's Commercial Presales for Dell EMC. Jeff, uh, you know, we should probably start at the beginning. Software-defined, software-defined storage, technology, WAN, compute, you name it. What is that? Let's put a finer point on it for our audience. Sure. I think uh, you just gave a great example of how DIS is using it. It's about using software to abstract away from the limitations in hardware. So folks are... You know, needing to move faster and more agile, and by using you know, software-defined technologies, you now can have the agility to reconfigure, repurpose, and redefine infrastructure as you go more in a more agile manner. Before, we used to do it manually and have to do things in a very step-by-step function, and now software is making us more faster. It's just, it's, it's amazing the difference, right? You used to say, well, we need another server. Okay, let's call up Dell, right? And put yeah. in that server and then it's going to take six weeks or eight weeks or maybe less yeah. or maybe more. Now, if you need to spin up a server or now if you need more technology in some way, you can just do it virtually. And that that's the bigger difference. Absolutely. Look, we've been under virtualization now for years. I remember when it was, virtualization was never going to really be as adopted as we wanted it to uh, or, or thought to you know be so. Now, most organizations are 80, 90% virtualized, some 100%. So uh, all of that has really provided us a way now to add infrastructure capacity on demand, be able to move uh, virtual machines, operating systems, and applications wherever we need them to be based upon service levels or, or infrastructure needs. Now, there's different kinds of software-defined technologies. There's storage, and there's networking, and there's WAN, and there's compute. Do all of them kind of come off the same idea of you can do compute when you need compute, or you need storage when you need storage? It's, it's all the same concept, or some is there a finer line we should kind of highlight? Yeah, I think uh, they all are under the same concept of utilizing software to manage the underlying infrastructure components. So software-defined networking solves that challenge of provisioning switches and ports and policies and VLANs and things like that and makes it more 
uh, more agile from an operator perspective. The more popular thing today is software-defined storage, which is solving that challenge of being able to provision you know, fiber channel SANs and networks and the storage arrays and make that faster and simpler. Software-defined storage is, is abstracting the physical storage from the, the operating system and giving you a way to policy manage it and provision it quicker. So I think the same principles apply. How can I do things in a more agile, simplistic manner through software and get rid of the underlying hardware limitations? Now the obvious question. You ready? This is easy. Data centers, it's it's an obvious reason why you would move to SDN. We're starting to see that. We're starting to see this, if you will, evolution in many ways. Maybe talk about what you're seeing from your federal customers as they kind of change this data center construct. In my ecosystem, we have VMware as part of our portfolio, and they've kind of defined the software-defined data center under what we just talked about. It's utilizing software-defined networking, software-defined storage, such as vSAN and, and other technologies to allow you to now have a full abstraction at a data center scale from the underlying hardware. So you can then utilize potentially anybody's hardware on top of that software and then no longer be bound by the limitations of the hardware vendor or the hardware capabilities. Uh, it's all defined you know, within, uh, within the policies of the software. You know, a great example of that is uh, things like NSX or software-defined networking, where now I could take a virtual machine or an application and move it rapidly across what we call layer two in the data center and um, and have that happen at a much more efficient, scalable manner than we used to do manually. When it comes to this idea of, of data centers as well, w- one of the things is agencies have been you know focused on on hugging their server, right, mm-hmm. the hardware side, and, and you're starting to see them move to virtualization. When I talk to CIOs, when I talk to uh, the, the people who run the data centers, you, you hear this change is happening. From your perspective, an industry side, are you still seeing? Uh, request for information or request for proposals of, p- of people asking for hardware or many or most agencies moved into that software world? We're seeing more of, uh, I think, what you just mentioned earlier, which is cloud adoption and data centers being part of that cloud adoption strategy. So data centers now really are part of what we call a hybrid model. How can I run things on-prem where I need security, I need policies, I need to control my data? And how can I use the public cloud to burst capacity or put, quite frankly, cloud-native workloads out to those providers? So things like FedRAMP are helping us to really define you know, that public cloud adoption and, and give us some sense of standards around security to do that. But what we are seeing is you know, within Dell EMC, we have a notion of modernize, automate, and transform. So for years, folks have been trying to really adopt new technology, new storage technology, faster server technology things like that. And so modernizing is quite frankly, refreshing from old to new and gaining some type of advantage. The trends now that we're seeing is how can I get into that automation layer? Because, you know, we need to do things faster. We need to be more agile. That's where automation is coming in. So automation in the sense, the software is now giving us that way to create processes and tools and automated workflows so that I can go from a, say a 14, 15 step process to provision a service down to, down to a standardized workflow that'll do it for me in minutes or, or an hour, which is very different. So there's three pieces to it, right? Modernization, automation, and then transform. We always hear the crawl, walk, run. Is this your version of crawl, walk, run, where first you have to modernize, and then you can automate, and then you can transform? Is, is transforming you know, still three to five years out? Great catch. So the transform is where the real value comes in that you're now changing how you operate. You're changing your people, your process, and your your tooling as a whole 
to now, quite frankly, be focused on the outcome. So when you think of the federal government, it's how can I have more agile workflows and more change our actual processes of delivering those services, leveraging automation so that now I can be more rapid to, you know, to deployment of those services and quite frankly, change the services that we deliver because now we can do things in a much more well-automated way. Great example of that is what we're seeing is something we call, you know, data being moved from due to internet of things. Uh, IOT is driving what we call the edge to the core to the cloud. So there's so much data and information across all the digital devices and sensors that are out there that that data now has to be manipulated. It has to be analyzed and processed, being done out the edge. And then that process data is moving into the core of the data center, where quite frankly, we may, we may want to analyze it in a different way, and it may be leverage cloud technologies to do that. That really brings new ways of operating a data center, operating IT as a service, if you will. We hear that a lot, this IT as a service. And, you're, and part of the reason we hear it is because of the cloud. And then you have places like the Air Force, as an example, mm-hmm. who are looking at enterprise IT as a service. And is that the next step we're going to if we can virtualize and, and, and use software to define our data centers and our storage and our compute and then and our WAN and our LAN? Is the next step is the this idea of, you can just buy the service. Is that, is that where you see it going? Yeah, I think that's ultimately what consumers want. Consumers of IT is the attraction of cloud is to be able to have a a portal where I define a service, I hit click and I provision it, and everything happens underneath me because it's all standardized and automated, and and that allows me to deliver that service much more rapidly. So. The IT as a service is if you own IT, you have to think, how do I become a service provider? How do I become more uh, programmatic and agile in delivering that service versus how we've done it traditionally, which is in silos of capacity and silos of technology. And then we constantly are dealing with refreshes of those silos. And that's one of the biggest benefits I've heard around software-defined technologies is this idea that you can always update it. You can always be made better. Is that probably one of the bigger benefits you're starting to see, but also agencies are starting to understand? One of the things of software-defined storage adoption is is being able to no longer have migrations of storage arrays. So I now live in a software-defined model where if I want to change out the underlying storage technology, I can do that under the covers and the software is managing where my, my workloads leverage, right? So I can offline storage online new storage, and all that can take place totally transparent to the workload. And you think about the evolution of where we've gone from spinning disk to all flash, and now we're moving into an age of NVMe and storage class memory, and everything's about getting faster. Uh, You want to do that in the least disruptive manner as possible. So um, I think that's another aspect of the benefit of software-defined storage. Another piece of all this is something called hyperconvergence. And maybe you should define what that is because it sounds like something, you know, from Star Wars or something. <laughs> but it, it's this idea of, of what? Warp speed. <laughs> so um, You had to make the Star Wars reference, to, right? You know, yeah, all right, fair enough. Star Wars fan. <laughs> We've done three-tier architectures for a while, like compute network storage. And we did something back in the uh, five to ten years ago where we got into what we call convergence. And convergence was how can I – how can I make things more tightly defined into an engineered outcome? Because it would remove the variables of differentiation, the patching and the updating and the chaos that goes on in the data center when you have 100 vendors and disparate technology. So convergence was how to more tightly define based upon those standards and manage it more simply. Hyperconvergence came along and said, hey, what if I took softer defined technologies, created a smaller packaging based upon server technology and embedded storage, 
and then utilize the software layer to be able to automate more in a more refined, tighter package. And the benefit of that was you wouldn't have to go spend tens of millions of dollars or a million dollars on a three-tier architecture and deploy it. You could now buy it at a server-level acquisition model, and a software would allow you to add servers as you wanted to go and, and be able to manage it at, at the software layer. Is hyperconversions on the bleeding edge, on the cutting edge, or is that being used now? Are you seeing it from customers requesting it? I would say it's probably on its hype curve right now. So it's uh, growing at 150% across most industries, and, and it's one of the hottest areas in the federal government uh, because of the simplicity of deployment. So if I need to add capacity or I need to just get a workload out uh, more quickly, uh, hyperconverge is a very easy way to do that. And so what we are seeing is it started out in what we call appliance models and people buying one, two, three, maybe eight appliances. And now you're scaling it up to where you need a, a switch, you need to tie it into your network, and you need to make it bigger. So that's what we call rack scale hyperconvergence and something we call VX rack. And that's just because you need to include the network into the environment and plug it into your core data center. So hyperconvergence is growing quickly. It's all in the software and the automation, but you're really buying into a software strategy. Is there one pothole or one mistake you see agencies or, or companies make when they jump into hyperconvergence? Is there something about it that you would say, before you do that, here's something you need to know? Absolutely. You can easily get enamored by the automation and the, uh, and the simplicity of uh, multiple vendors' offerings, right? And so you have to look at it as, what is my long-term vision around managing through software and getting into a, a hybrid cloud environment? And that's where you know we feel that being tied into a familiar operating model such as VMware and leveraging all those assets is going to give you that that common uh, layer of software management across hyperconvergence to convergence to three-tier and then into the cloud. If you don't think long-term, then you could be buying on a short-term need and then kind of stuck in a silo. All right, very good advice. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The modern data center is a vital building block of the infrastructure of the future, and the possibilities for customization are endless. Making the right choices for your mission is the first step. How much of your networking, storage, compute, or operations will be software-defined? What are the benefits of hyper-converged? And how can artificial intelligence and machine learning help you automate and speed up rote processes? Dell EMC and Kerasoft can help you make the right choices for your agency. To learn more, visit kerasoft.com dell. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jeff Riley, the Senior Director of the America's Commercial Presales for Dell EMC. Jeff, before break, we talked a lot about kind of the current status, if you will, what software-defined networking is and, and how agencies are starting to use it. You brought up this idea of hyperconvergence, which is getting very popular, huge uptake in the, in the recent you know, months and years. Let's look forward a little bit. And when we talk about SDN, you brought up storage and, and how popular SDN type of storage is because you can just turn up arrays. And then you also talked about it's not like the old days of Flash or the old days of of having to kind of put a new box in there. So maybe talk about where storage is heading as it relates to software-defined technologies. You know, I've been doing this a while, so we've always had that that challenge of these spinning disks that move really slowly and how can we access the data and get it out to our applications and things running in the compute layer as quickly as possible. So we came up with all sorts of ways to, to manipulate that from caching schemes to protocols to, you know, host bus adapters and things like that. So it's always been about how can I 
make storage run as fast as the CPU or the memory. And the evolution of storage now is getting closer and closer to solving that gap, which is something we call NVMe, which is non-volatile memory express as the pathway. And then the, uh, the new storage technology is called you know, storage class memory. So th- those two combined together are about to take us leaps and bounds where we are from today. And a great example of that might be I took the Accela here. And uh, you know, in the days when you took the regional train, you had to stop, 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 stop. And then all of a sudden we had this express train that would you know, get you from New York to D.C. in a much faster period of time. Albeit, I wish they could do it even quicker. It's a great example of, uh, of where we're going with NVMe Express although NVMe Express is going to give us a way to go from New York directly to D.C. with no stops at a much faster speed. And then we have something that we call uh, NVMe Done Right, which is, hey, I want to, what if I want to run a 1,000 of those, those express lines? And everybody could jump on a train and know you're immediately going to go from New York to D.C. in, in minutes, right? So um, that's the evolution of NVMe, NVMe Express is to get us faster. And it's going to replace things like, you know, iSCSI and, and other technologies that have been geared towards slower medium in the storage realm. I don't want to go too deep into the technology, but when you talk about this new type of storage, what's the difference? Is it it's the disks are no longer spinning? Simplify it for me, but try to help me understand, help the audience understand why this is such a big leaps and bounds. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Quite frankly, it is exactly what you said. It's no longer storage spinning, right? I remember when I had a PC and I created a little you know, disk volume in memory, and I could just write my file to it in split seconds. But the minute I turned off that PC, everything disappeared, right? And that's what we call volatile memory. Uh, now, the evolution of NAND technology is now giving us memory that can retain its state. And even when you power it off, like, you know, your your iPod or your phone or whatever, uh, now we're going to have server data center class storage that will maintain its state but operate at, at memory speeds. And so consider that like, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the shuttle or the rocket that you want to drive down that express lane. So now you'll have both a high-speed rocket as well as an express lane that you can take it down at the same time. And what's the benefit of having that fast storage, that fast memory? Is it be able to access your data? Is it be able to, to manipulate the data? What's the benefit? It's speed and access. So uh, no so, longer does so it... So let me just jump in. Sure. So speed and access, meaning if I'm... And we talked about the tactical edge earlier a little bit. We talked about, let's say, something like DISA. If they're setting up a network for a warfighter and that warfighter is in an austere environment in Afghanistan, they're using this type of storage that would allow them to get that critical data much more quickly and then manipulate that data much more easily than if they had to deal with the spinning disks. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. When you when you combine the speeds of the network now, like you know, non-federal, we've got 5G coming out. So the connection between your device and where you are to the actual data is getting faster and faster. So that plus the amount of information that we need, you know, we need that that disk to be much more quickly accessible. So that warfighter now is going to have a express lane right into the processing and, and the data that comes out of that processing being shot rapidly right to the device that they're on and uh, made available to them faster than we've uh, we've had in traditional technology where you had kind of those those stops along the line we had to wait. I think that's a great point because when the whole goal, and we hear this a lot from the Defense Department, but I think you hear it with law enforcement, you hear it with Homeland Security, you hear it with almost every agency, if they can help the mission owners get their mission done more quickly. Now with this storage, it seems like that's the next step, this next part of the evolution of improving the, the way you work. Yeah, absolutely. When you consider that we're moving from, in 2010, a zettabyte of data out there 
in 2020, we're going to have 50 zettabyte of data. So the data explosion is massive. And so with more data means you've got to be able to have uh, more rapid access. And so an example will be a virtual machine and an application will be able to reference a particular byte of data immediately instead of having to get a big block of data and, and pull out what it needs like we did in the uh, spinning disk days. All right, very cool. And once we have all this access to this data, what do we need next, right? A little bit of artificial intelligence, machine learning, that's going to help us as well understand what's in that data says, where it is, how to find it, how to manipulate it. So talk about the impact of AI, ML on, if you will, data centers. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned before that we do things like modernize, automate, and transform. On the automate side, I you know, just helped a, a large financial services customer where they needed to build out two uh, large-scale data centers, but they needed to make it so that they could provision workloads you know, programmatically right out the gate. So that capability of building automation in is a way to kind of respond to needs. Uh, when you look at AI and ML and the data explosion, now you have sensors and things generating data for you, and you quite frankly need to get more proactive. And so you know, that's, that's a side of using AI and machine learning so that we now can do the analytics on the data. You know, a great example of, uh, uh, is Facebook, right, with, with uh, you know, face recognition. Uh, when somebody has a photo posted and they're in Italy, all of a sudden you get an alert that says, hey, your friend is in Italy, right? So the machine learning and the AI start to do some, some uh, predictive you know, notifications and alerting and can, quite frankly, turn that into automation in a autonomous manner for you. Um, I think the, the goal is to turn AI into a human assist manner so that now AI will come back and tell us things before we actually would have ever generated that knowledge on our own. And so uh, that's the, the power of, of building AI. And I know that's a major initiative within the federal government is everything we do within modernizing IT infrastructure and the agencies is going to be incorporating AI to some degree. And that could be everything from, you know, defense initiatives to give us more predictive analytics on the battlefield to, you know, how do we now take and just automate and make things more, more rapidly accessible through healthcare. For example, healthcare analytics that AI now can look at all the data and start to generate some conclusions and then notify you of potential risks or issues. The proactiveness of AI, I think is really the key here. And that's where software defined comes in as well. Just to tag back to the beginning of our conversation, I hear a lot about security, right? And we can go down the security path, I'm sure. But if you can see that a certain port or a certain problem is happening or a piece of software has gone out of date, that's where the artificial intelligence can automatically patch that piece of software if a patch is available, or it can close a port if it's seen unusual traffic. I imagine the same thing happens from the this this side of the fence. The I know security is important to Dell EMC, but the mission side of the fence, if they're saying, hey, based on this set of actions you've done, you probably want this next set of data, I'll start accessing it now. So when you ask for it, it it's it, you'll get it more quickly. I, I, am, I know I'm probably simplifying it, but that's that's the big benefit of where AI and, and SDN can all work together. We've kind of learned that you know the, the old adage of using security from a perimeter defense really doesn't work. There's always going to be ways to intrude and get into the environment. So now it's more about using AI to say, how can I react or prevent once those intrusions happen, when somebody's in my, my data center or in my application or in my environment, I need to catch them and block them as quickly as possible. And so AI comes in to start to catch those changes or policy violations or, uh, quite frankly, see behaviors that maybe want us to make some reactions before uh, you know, human intervention you know, slows us down. 
looking forward as as customers are looking for AI, where is this in machine learning? Where is this in the software defined technology world that we've been talking about? Is it just starting to show up or has it been there? And we've called it, you know, AI is the latest buzzword, so, but it's been there, but under some some other moniker. No, I think AI is a uh, an evolution out of things that we've been able to do for quite some time in the in the the vector graphic and you know analyzing data from from a GPU perspective. So those capabilities have been evolving in uh, in imaging and in voice recognition. You know, I love my my Google or my Alexa voice response now sounds so natural, right? That's part part of an example of how AI and machine learning has really evolved to deliver new types of services. So. But I think what's happening now is when you look at software defined, I like to call it infrastructure awareness in that software defined is now knowledgeable of the underlying layer of hardware that you put in place, whether it's NVMe or not. And that software defined gives you the, the tool sets for AI to utilize and manipulate. We used to call those like APIs, for example. So the, the AI would be able to now call out to the software defined you know, capabilities that are automating the underlying infrastructure and really tie it all together so that you can uh, start to change your environment, you know, based upon conditions or needs on the fly. Jeff, this has been a fascinating conversation, and we're just about out of time. Before I let you go, there's a one last piece of this, and you brought up this idea of APIs, application program interfaces, and you hear that a lot associated with this uh, other piece that's been emerging that's going to, I think, going to have a big impact on the software-defined world, which is, you know, this idea of DevOps or DevSecOps is now mm-hmm. the popular term. Maybe talk as well about how the developer-ready infrastructure, I think is the term you guys are, are using, how SDN creates that infrastructure, that type of infra- infrastructure for uh, agencies and other organizations to take advantage of. Yeah, so I mean, we're seeing the evolution of developers needing to move more rapidly as new services need to get brought out to market. Uh, you look at Amazon, they release something like, you know, dozens and dozens of releases per day. And so that's because the developers now using tools such as continuous integration and continuous development and iterating on their their uh, their applications rapidly. And so in doing that, that's allowing us to bring, you know, new services that actually leverage or bring AI to market. For example, you know, Tesla and their they're rolling out new releases dynamically into a, a vehicle that's using AI. Uh, that captures cameras and and um, uh, geographical data, mapping data, and pulling all that together to make decisions on autonomous car driving, for example. So that's an example of you know developers working more rapidly to release application cycles that then leverage things like AI and and leverage s you know uh, software defined inside of a physical vehicle. Uh, to be able to bring a new service or capability to market, that's happening in the data center as well. So uh, we see things like Kubernetes and and containers, which really take everything from the application and the libraries and needs and make them portable uh, anywhere you need them to go, whether it be in the cloud or whether you want to run it on prem. You no longer have to develop for an operating system or a VM and put that VM where you need it to run and do the, that manually provision manual provisioning. And now you can actually just write it and and have within these containerized environments, have it deployed where you need it to be deployed. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest, Jeff Riley, the Senior Director of the Americas Commercial Presales for Dell EMC. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. You've been listening to the discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. 
Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at Federal News Radio, keyword innovation.